We are in part 25 of our Connecting to Church series, and I entitled today's message, Managing Like Heaven. And I'm going to be talking about being an authority figure or a boss at a job. Now, not all of us are bosses, but you have to remember, leadership is just influence. So wherever I say boss or leader, I need you to put it into your context because God has something for you. Let's say you're a parent. You have influence over your household. Let's say that you're a teacher. You have influence over your students. Let's say that at a job, you just happen to be very influential with all your coworkers. You're a leader. How do we act as a leader with authority in a way that honors Jesus Christ? That's what we want to spend most of our time talking about. And as you heard, we are going to have a two-week series on this. Why? Well, listen to this. This is fascinating to me. If you went to church faithfully over a period of 40 years, you will spend in church approximately 2,500 hours. 2,500 hours over 40 years. Let's say, for example, you're super engaged. You go to small groups or missional communities or classes or you serve here. Let's triple that number to 7,500 hours over 40 years. Do you realize that a normal nine-to-five job will leave you between 50,000 and 100,000 hours that you're working over 40 years? 100,000 versus 7,500. What does it mean? The amount of time you spend at work is so significantly more than you spend at church, your pulpit is going to be in your workplace, not in your church. Most of your influence, most of your time and investment, most of your opportunity is going to come at your job. That is where you're going to shine the most as a Christian, where you're going to have most influence for the kingdom of God. So when we got to this part of the passage, we realized, you know what? We need to slow it down, spend two weeks, and talk about this because we need us to shine in the area we're spending most of our time, right? For sure. In 2008, I taught a series through the book of Proverbs, and I was talking about work life. And I said this, our work life illustrates our theology. Our work life illustrates our theology. What do I mean? If we are lazy, it indicates that we are entitled that everything goes around us and is done for us. If we are servant-hearted, it means that we've been trained and taught that just like Jesus, our lives are to put other people's needs above our own. How do you operate at work? Another example, Christianity has always demanded a strong work ethic. People should be able to know if you're a believer by how you handle your job. But what if you're not only in a job, but you have authority over other people? I think we all have pretty much accepted that as a reality, but don't you think it's a little weird let me give you an example. When we go in and do our jobs, we would go in and say, hey, I need this done, this done, and this done. But in reality, you're a human being with flaws and gifts. You have families at home, and you're dictating another person's life. 
who has a family, who has intelligence, who has all their own issues. You're telling someone else how to spend the time they have on this earth. That's a big deal. I know we all just kind of do it and don't even think about it, but we do need to think about it because Christians should never take advantage of that. As a matter of fact, if you're following along and you want to do the fill in the blank on the app, right? You can do that or just write that down. Write it down with me. Authority is an honor. Authority is an honor and should always be treated with respect. We should always serve and honor those that we have authority over because that is the way of Jesus Christ. All right, would you turn with me if you haven't already? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. It says this, Paul the Apostle is talking to the church in Ephesus, and you can tell he had some pretty specific ideas in mind. Here's what he said. Bond servants or slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, that means with respect, with a sincere heart, just as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bondservant or he is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven there is no partiality with him. Now, I'm a big stickler for reading the Bible right. And the way that you read the Bible right is everything about context, right? In other words, anytime you read a passage, there's one intended meaning by the author. He meant one thing very specifically. Once we learn that principle, we can apply it to a bunch of parts of our lives. But we can't just make the Bible say whatever we want it to say. It means something very specifically. So let's give credit where credit is due. This passage is talking about slaves and masters. This is in the ancient world where slavery was a massive part of the Roman Empire. This is slaves and masters. Why is that so important? Because we're about to apply it to employees and employers. But can we all agree that wherever you work, it's still better than slavery. In other words, it may be bad, but you still have some freedoms here. I'm talking about this is a context where you do not have freedom over your own life. That whatever that other person says, you have to do it under penalty of death. If that is your work area, I would suggest getting another job. That's not good. That's not healthy, right? Because the reason that's so important is whatever your work situation is, as difficult as it may be, as terrible as it may be, you realize this was written under worse conditions. Meaning that your attitude should be that of Jesus Christ in even worse areas. So whatever you're going through, this still applies. Now, we don't have slavery instituted in our nation at this time. Praise the Lord. So we're going to apply the same principles to the areas where we do have authority and people that are under authority. 
We still need to know how to handle it. And if we are people in authority, how do we do that right? Well, what that means is that we're going to study the second part of this passage. So let's go back and read it again, the part that we're going to focus on. And we'll start in verse 7. Talking about servants, Paul said, make sure that you're rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Here's the key. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there's no partiality with him. It gives us three things. Three simple, basic instructions. You might want to write these down. Here's what they are. Number one, you are working for God. To write that down, you are working for God. I don't care if you're the boss or you're the employee, you're working for God. That the whole idea that you even have the authority you have is because God let you have that authority. But you are working for God. That means he's watching everything you do. I find it so strange because I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up where God was as normal as breathing. I find it so strange that some people still believe that there's areas that are private from God. Like, how is that possible? The Bible says that God knows the words before they're formed on our tongue. If he knows our thoughts, how do we possibly think there's any area of our life that he's not looking at? And if he's looking at it, he has expectations of it. When you are a boss behind closed doors, God's watching how you handle it. He wants to see what you've done with the authority that he's given you. What type of man are you? What type of woman are you in the boardroom? What type of authority structure do you set up? How do you handle your employees? You just know this. At a bottom line, you work for God. Right? Second thing that I think it tells us. You might want to write this one down. Number two. Great leaders don't lead with fear. They lead with inspiration. Great leaders don't lead with fear. They lead with inspiration. He said, stop threatening. If you have to threaten or dominate your employees, you're a poor leader. They should never be afraid of you. They should respect you, but they should never be afraid of you. A Christian is never to dominate, be harsh, now, there's nothing wrong with having boundaries and solid work and, and demanding accountability. All that's good. But you don't get to lead by fear. That's not the way of the Lord. You lead by inspiration. Remember, if you are leading by fear, they'll only do it if you're around. But if you lead by inspiration, they'll do it when you're not around. Does that make sense? All right, number three. Number three, simple thing that it says right there. Write this one down. You ready? God's not impressed with your title. God is not impressed with your title. Whatever it says on your desk, whatever it says on your door, whatever. You're just a human being. Other people may be impressed with your title, but God simply is not. Because when you see even his servants from heaven, the angels, we all fall down on our face. 
That means that I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a king in this world. When you see Jesus, you fall down on your face. He is so high and lifted up, there is no comparison. So he does not care what's on your business card. You're still just a human being, right? So we must always have humility. It says there's no partiality. He's not thinking, oh, this world gave you a title. I should be nicer to you. He's saying, I'm totally loving all the time, no matter who you are. You are in need of grace just like everybody else, and I'm going to love you the same, right? All right, now that's what the passage says. If we're supposed to be great authority, Christian leaders, how do we do that better? So what I'm going to do for the remaining amount of our time, I'm going to give you three principles of great leadership from biblical stories and characters, yeah? So I'm going to go through these. You might want to take some notes on these if you don't already, because I'm going to give you a couple different principles to write down. Here we go. Let's go through them, and each one of them comes with a story. I love stories. Yeah? Do you love stories? Well, it doesn't matter. I have the microphone. We're going to talk about stories, all right? Here we go. Three stories. First one, write this down. Here's the truth. Great bosses are wise but generous. Great bosses are wise but generous. Now, I can think of no better boss outside of Jesus than a man in the Old Testament by the name of Boaz. He's in the book of Ruth. If you haven't read that book, you need to read that book because he wins best boss of the year and I'm giving him best boyfriend of the decade and I'm going to give him best son-in-law ever. Does that make sense, right? This guy is awesome, right? So we find out a little bit about him in Ruth chapter two. It starts to tell about this story. Now, do you know the story of Ruth, the background? If not, let me tell you. Back in the ancient world, in the Middle East, and even still sometimes today, there was extreme racism. If you were in Israel and you were a Jew, you didn't like anyone that wasn't a Jew. If you were outside of Israel and you were not a Jew, you didn't necessarily care for the Jews. There was a big animosity. Well, a nearby nation was called Moab, and so those people were the Moabites. Well, there was a woman that named Ruth, and she ended up marrying into a Jewish family. So her mother-in-law was Jewish. Well, the husband died and her husband died, so they're only alone. And the mom says, I'm going back to Israel. You should stay here. You're not from there. And she said, I'm going to go wherever you go. I want to take care of you, and I want to love on you because I believe I was built to serve. She said, you do know what this means, right? You're going to go into Israel. Nobody's going to like you there. She said, it doesn't matter as long as I'm caring for you. She said, you know we're going to be dirt poor, right? She said, it doesn't matter as long as I take care of you. So she goes to Israel. Well, sure enough, they have no money. And they're out kind of gleaning and picking up things out of the fields. And they come up with a plan. They said, we do have a relative. His name's Boaz. He's a wealthy landowner. Maybe we can go get some stuff out of his field. Well, this is how he comes on the scene. I love this guy, right? He probably comes riding up on a horse, yeah? It's probably a big, cool horse. He probably is not wearing a shirt that day, and he's ripped, right? I don't know why, but that's okay. 
And he comes in and he greets everybody, right? And he's like, hello, workers. And they're like, oh, we love you, right? Literally, they say, you know, he's like, God's grace on you. And they're like, oh, and the best for you. His whole working team loves this guy. There's a reason for that. And then he gets off his horse, right? And he's hanging out with his men. And he goes, hey, there's a new girl in the field. What's going on with her? And they said, you know, that's the girl that came in. She's not from here, totally poor. Her name is Ruth. He said, Roger that. He goes up and he talks to her and he says, hey, you all right? She said, yeah. He said, I just want you to know you're safe here. I've told all my guys, nobody messes with you. If you need anything, you let me know. And you can always glean here. This is your field. I just need you to make sure you're okay. He said, no, I'm great. He said, by the way, I'm part of your reward from God. I know what you've done. I've heard your story and about how selfless you were to your mother-in-law. And I want you to know if I can repay any of that and bless you, I want to be that guy. She's blown away. Comes lunchtime. She doesn't have a lunch. She doesn't have any food. He said, hey, how about you come over and have lunch with us? You can have some of mine. And then he said, you know what? You can work all the rest of the season here. You don't have to go anywhere. I got you covered. You're safe. What an amazing man, right? I mean, this guy's incredible. Then, as she goes back to work, he tells his guys, he said, hey, guys, when she's picking up off the ground, I need you to pull out some of the best, and I want you to accidentally leave it on the ground so that she has the best of the best. Watch over her. What's so intriguing to me is that he was extraordinarily generous, but he was wise. That leads me to two principles. You might want to jot these down. Two principles. Great leaders know their margins. Great leaders know their margins. What do I mean? I mean, they know what they can and can't give away. They know what their business does they know the people whom they serve. They know what's possible. They know what will hurt the company. They know what they can sacrifice for the sake of their people. The point is never to harm or bankrupt your company. The point is to bless your employees and the people you serve. You gotta know your margins to figure out what's what. Second principle on that, great leaders sacrifice their bottom line for their people. Great leaders sacrifice their bottom line for their people. What do I mean? Boaz is gonna have less money in the bank at the end of the month because he helped her out. You don't get to have it both. You don't get to be super generous and have all your stuff. You're giving away so they have more and you have less. That's generosity. Great leaders know they're gonna take a hit and that's okay. Let me tell you story number two. Story number two. You might want to write this down. Great leaders bring the blessing of God to their companies. Great leaders bring the blessing of God to their companies. And I know of no better example than Joseph. You all know the story of Joseph? I mean, he was this great leader already in a man named Potiphar's house. And then he ends up getting accused and tried and convicted for a rape he did not commit. 
He was in prison for years, but instead of it making him bitter, it made him better. He comes out and God gives him a revelation to tell Pharaoh, the king of all Egypt, and he tells him what's going to happen in the future. Pharaoh's blown away and he's like, what do I do then? And Joseph said, I'll give you a strategy. You do this, you do this, you do this. At least that's how I'd handle it. And Pharaoh said, I have never met anybody like you. There is something different about you. You know what? I'm putting you in charge of all of Egypt. I may be Pharaoh, you run everything. I will give you my robe, I will give you my signet ring that whatever you stamp is from me. I will give you everything I have. People will bow down to you in the street. I'll have you run everything. Wow, why would he do that? Because there was something special about Joseph gives me two pieces to tell you. One of them is this. You ready? Part of your blessing is your brain. Part of the blessing of God through you is your brain. Work smart, work hard. Why? Because the thoughts you have aren't all yours. Sometimes they're the Holy Spirit giving you the idea. Sometimes you go, well, I'm just a systems person. I just know systems. No, you don't. The Holy Spirit knows systems, and he's telling you. Well, I'm just really good at math. No, you're not, because I know that. I'm not good at math. So I know it's not a normal thing, right? All I'm telling you is that the Holy Spirit is working through your brain and giving you ideas, and I want you to use all of that wisdom and brain power for your company. You make your company Better, because you think through things and you use the gifts and talents God has given you. But there's another piece to your blessing. Part of your blessing is your anointing. Part of your blessing is your anointing. See, this is how it went really extreme with Joseph. It said, and God blessed everything that Joseph put his hands to. Like, literally, he was like the Midas touch. Everything he touched turned to gold. And everybody was going, man, that's a little weird. How come everything goes well for Joseph? Because God was on his side. There was an anointing. There was a blessing. You get anointing from letting the Holy Spirit of God move through you. The Holy Spirit just has an intangible blessing that when a Christian is in a job, the, the company should be better off. The company should be blessed by the power of God because a Christian is there. And it's not just your brain. There's an intangible anointing that goes along with it. Now, I get it. Not all of us can go into a job interview and we suddenly know the future. And we suddenly can go, here's what's going to happen for the next seven years. And here's how I think. But we can live out a life of Christ. We can use the gifts that he's given us. And we can bless our companies. Now, this is where some of you might go, all right, pastor, I'm with you and all that until you got to this point. You keep talking about making your company money. Let me just tell you who I work for. I work for a company, and they are not godly. They are not interested in godly things. They're not doing godly things. Quite frankly, I think all the money just goes down a hole. I don't think it even matters. It's certainly not Christian. Okay, hold up. Got a question for you. Did Joseph work for a Christian company? Uh, no. He worked for a pagan nation. As a matter of fact, everything they did, they had other gods they spent it on. 
So really, it wasn't anything extra Christian. And if we want to play that game, what about Nehemiah? He was the cupbearer to the king of a whole different nation. You got Babylon. You got all different kinds of other nations that they worked for. But they still did their best and brought the anointing and blessing of God on those companies. Because it is not on you to determine the bottom line of your company, it's for you to be who you really are, which is the presence of Jesus in that place. Does that make sense? Uh, One last thought on that before I move on. Please don't allow compartmentalizing to ruin the Holy Spirit going to work with you? Here's what I mean. Some of us really believe we can segment our lives and we say, I'm really into that God thing at church. I'm kind of into that God thing around these friends, um, but I don't bring God to school. I don't bring God to work. When you don't bring God to work, you suffer and your work suffers. God's supposed to be in everything that you do, yeah? All right, let's pick up number three. Number three, the last one. Ready? Write this down. Great leaders take their people personally. Great leaders take their people personally. There's a man in the New Testament, and we never get his name. He's only known by his title, the centurion. One day, Jesus is doing ministry, and he receives a notice from a local authority, a centurion, that says, can you heal my servant? He's dying. We eventually see that he comes himself and meets with Jesus, and he says, my servant is at home paralyzed and suffering greatly. How would he know that? See, let's go back. In the ancient world, we're talking about slavery. Why does he know the details of his servant's suffering. He's not interested in his bottom line. Oh, now my workforce is smaller. That has nothing to do with it. What is he concerned about? My servant, who I know personally, is hurting, paralyzed, and scared he's gonna die. Now, this is not a one-time event. How do we know that? Because the Jews around Jesus that heard this said this, Lord, you have to help this guy. We love this guy. He's the one that built our synagogue. He's the one that has always loved the Jewish people. You got to help him. Okay, hold on. We don't even know his name. We know his title, which is Centurion. What do Centurions do? They work for the Roman military. Who is the oppressing group that lords over the Jews? The Romans, how do they hold the power? The military. He's the very presence of their problems. And they love him. Why? Because he did not allow the hatred of his nation to enter into his heart. He was a man of love. And he watched over his people. Didn't matter what nationality they were. Didn't matter what country they were from. He was a good man because of who God made him to be. And this is where everything gets intense. He says, Jesus, my servant's really hurting. Would you heal him? And after all this stuff, Jesus says, 
all right, I'll do that. Where do you live? Let's go. And he said, no, 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 I don't think you understand, Lord. I'm a man of authority. When I tell my people to do stuff, I don't have to ask twice. They do everything I tell them to do. You are the king of creation. Whatever you say goes, no one can argue with you. You don't need to come to my house. You give the word and everything will bend to your reality. Jesus was, turns around and looks at all his followers. He's like, you hearing this guy? I don't hear any of that out of you. Where's this guy coming in with his faith? And he turns around and looks at the centurion and he goes, you can go home now. He's fine. And the healing is done. The man took it upon himself to go to a Jewish healer to heal his Jewish servant. And he wasn't Jewish. Why? Because it was personal. Great leaders take their people personally. Mm. Not everyone works for you because they have to. Please make sure the people that work for you work for you because they want to. You see, employees talk with other employees, especially with other companies. And they all talk about what their bosses are like. What are they saying about you? Are you the one that's hard-headed, the one that never listens to anybody? You're the one that always looks out for the bottom line. You're the one that will sacrifice your own people to get another dollar. What do you like as a, as a leader, as an authority? Because what they need to be able to say is, that is the best boss I've ever worked for. I don't know what their deal is. They're kind of into that God stuff. They're kind of into that church thing, whatever. That was never my thing. They never pushed that on me. All I'm trying to tell you is they're amazing. And I'm so thankful I work for them. They may not even like the company, but if they like their boss, makes all the difference in the world. Are you that kind of leader? Understand, when I talk about being a good Christian leader in the workplace, here's what I'm not saying. A good Christian preacher in the workplace. What do I mean? Listen to this. You might want to write this down. A loud Christian with a lousy work ethic is like nails on a chalkboard. A loud Christian with a lousy work ethic is like nails on a chalkboard. They did not hire you to walk around and preach. They did not hire you to share the gospel. They hired you to get your job done. They may not know Jesus like you know Jesus. So they hired you and pay you money to do your job. So you do your job excellent. And along the way, you demonstrate Jesus Christ. You do it more through your actions and your behaviors even than your words. If you're allowed to speak, you always give a reason for the hope that lies within. You always share the love of Christ if you can verbally, but you are not being paid to run around and irritate all your coworkers because it's now your little platform. Earn the right to be heard. That's what Christians do. You see... Jesus was a carpenter, and people still didn't even know he was the Messiah. Hmm. Paul was a tent maker, and he was good enough to make a business, but he was also a preacher on the side. 
It's all about being a godly leader in your context. Where did God put you? Where you work is not an accident. It's purposeful. Well, pastor, I don't think you understand the people that I work with. Oh, I do. Well, you don't understand how they talk and what they, oh, so you're telling me that you actually have people that need Jesus. Is that what you're telling me? Because I don't know if you knew this or not, but my job makes it really hard to witness. I, I work with all Christians. I'm surrounded by people that may exude Jesus better than me. And so I am a lit up candle in a bright white room and nobody cares. But when you're in darkness, everybody needs a flashlight. Amen? Amen. Let me close in prayer and just pray for us, yeah? Let's do that. Heavenly Father, we all have these different contexts that we're ministering in. Lord, some of us are stay-at-home teachers. Some of us are run the household. Some of us are leaders in our group of friends. Some of us, Lord, have a title on our business card. Some of us go to work every day and people think that we're a king or a queen. In your eyes, Lord, we are just your children playing the role that you designed for us. Lord, there are some of us that are frustrated at work. Would you help us to have wisdom to navigate? Would you allow us to have the character and the soft heart to be loving when others are not? Would you allow us, God, to have open conversations that other people initiate? God, we want desperately to show others you. And we don't know the best way to do that, but you do. God, we are here for you and we are here to be used by you on whatever it takes. So Lord, would you bless our workplaces as we live out our calling. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.